Yes, indeed. We do need a revolution of health and love and life. And you're right here on an informed life radio with Bernadette Pager, your host. And that's what we talk about on an informed uh, life radio is, is this very peaceful uh, health revolution that begins with education. It's all about being an informed citizen on everything. We sort of became very complacent as a nation for for far too long. We just went about our days and it was so easy to just leave the running of our state, of our county, of our cities, of the nation to other people. And just, you know, when they did things we disagreed with, we just shrugged and said, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. And we've sort of shrugged and oh, nothing we can do ourselves right into this really crazy corner where we find our very freedoms um, being threatened. But, you know, you know, with every sort of turn in life, every disaster in life, as it were, we can always find those silver linings and those lessons to learn as human beings. And I see a whole lot of positive coming out of this COVID chaos. Um, I ache for anybody who's experienced any sort of loss during this time, those who've lost their loved ones to COVID, those who have lost their loved ones and their livelihoods to the response to COVID. Um, there, there's an awful lot going along, uh, um, happening. But, you know, we can empower ourselves as individuals. We've got a lot more power than a lot of people realize. So, um, at, the end of this year, heading into the new year, I am full of absolute, absolute hope. Um, I want to encourage all of you to educate yourselves. Don't just stop with what Bernadette says on the radio. Obviously, who, what do I know? I'm a, I'm a mom. I'm an activist. I'm a writer. Um, but I'm only here to bring you information. I'm not giving medical advice. I'm not giving uh, legal advice. I'm just trying to encourage you to open your minds and think and and learn the whole story and everything. So. Um, I want to remind you about our website, informchoicewa.org, informchoicewa.org. We've got so much information on there. It's just so packed. Sometimes it can be a little hard to find what you're looking for, but there's a great little search um, button there that you, a little magnifying glass, you can put in keywords, and it's pretty good about finding what you're looking for. We've just recently added to our menu a bills tab. And we're going to start keeping track of the bills coming along, those we support and those we oppose. And we have one bill there now, uh, HB 1006. It's very exciting. Uh, We didn't even realize it was coming. A wonderful uh, legislator dropped a a bill that would provide for every single Washington citizen of every age, medical, religious, and personal exemptions to all vaccines. So it's very exciting they have that. Um, Informed Choice Washington has a, a, a bill that's on its way. And I just heard of another rep up in Bellingham who is dropping a COVID-19 vaccine bill, protective, um, restricting uh, the ability to give mandates. So I feel like this is fantastic. You know, We're just all sort of waking um, up here to the really need to preserve choice. If you choose vaccines, you should choose choice because you want to be able to choose which ones, when, where, how. (laughs) You always want that with with any um, medical decision. So informed choice, informed consent, never before in history, I think, have we understood how very important these concepts are at this time. Another gift of COVID has been waking people up to understanding why it's so important to preserve that. And really informed consent is under attack. 
literally under attack. And so that leads us to the topic of the day is informed consent. And we have with us as our guest, the amazing Dr. Paul Thomas, who's a pediatrician in Portland, Oregon, um, whose practice is founded on the principle of informed consent, of ensuring that every one of his young patients and the parents and guardians of those patients go in eyes wide open to any medical decision that they make. That, you know, that principle should be the guiding principle of all medical practitioners. But sadly, because he practices medicine this way, um, his practices has been under threat. And recently, in fact, what happened was, I'll back up just a little bit. We've got this amazing data from an informed consent doctor. The data was compiled. A published peer-reviewed study came out showing the health outcomes of children under various vaccination schedules under his care. The results of the study are based on facts. That's all it is. It's just, this is the health outcome. This is how many kid, uh, vaccines these kids got. You look at it and see what you think, right? Five days after this very strong study came out, the Oregon Medical Board pulled Dr. Paul Thomas's um, medical license. You know, I can't see it as anything other than revenge, other than fear of the Oregon Medical Board and indeed the entire public health uh, vaccine industry establishment that um, if people take a critical look at the vaccine schedule and some of these vaccine ingredients, they would find out reform is desperately needed, that what we're doing to these kids is more harm than good. Um, and so welcome, Dr. Paul Thomas, to the show. Uh, I, sometimes I ramble and I don't know quite when to be quiet. So say hello to our guests. They're so excited that you're here today. Hi, Bernadette. It's my pleasure to be here. And uh, your rambling was spot on. So you're good. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Um, you know, over the past couple of years, I've, I've kind of gotten to know you and really admire your approach to medicine. And, you know, I really admire your courage because many doctors begin to wake up and understand um, that vaccines can do harm and that we have to be very careful in our administration of these products, but they don't have the courage to step up as you have. And you knew why eyes wide open. So tell everybody who your hero is. <laughs> oh, so um, yeah, how I got to this mess I'm in is, uh, you know, I've been a pediatrician for almost 35 years. I've been doing this a long time. I was trained at Dartmouth Medical School. I'm a mainstream doctor by training. And in 1999, this guy named Andy Wakefield wrote a paper. Uh, I didn't actually read it till, 20, uh, till 2000. So a year later, I stumbled on this paper. I'm going, huh, vaccines might be related to autism? That, you know, autism was just starting to sort of become more known. We, I didn't see any cases when I was a kid. I didn't see any cases in medical school. I actually didn't see any severe cases in residency. So really, through the mid-80s, it was very rare. And then it started just becoming more and more common. And it's not just autism we're talking about, as, as we'll get into with my study. It's pretty much almost any chronic condition and even acute conditions can be related to things like toxins, vaccines injected, you're injecting toxins. 
but so I read that article and I thought it just kind of put a little seed in my brain and, and I started researching on my own and learning from organizations like Defeat Autism Now that became MAPS, Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs. Uh, great conferences they would put on with peer reviewed information that I just wasn't hearing when I went to my Academy of Pediatrics trainings. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, there's a whole world of literature out there, folks, that's peer reviewed, it's data, but it's not the data you're hearing on TV. Huh, mm -hmm. that's interesting. You mean there's other data out there, <laughs> right? right. So people don't understand when they hear the TV commentators who are not scientists, by the way, they're reading teleprompters. When they hear these people say safe and effective, we follow the science, we follow the data. They are following the tiniest little piece of science and most of it's junk science. We call it tobacco science. Almost all the vaccine safety studies were basically tobacco science studies. Mm -hmm. Let me just, you've probably heard this analogy before, but it makes it really simple. Bernadette, you're going to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day for the next week, and I'm going to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, and we're going to see which one of us dies in a week. Oh, <laughs> neither one of us died, so cigarettes are safe, okay? Yeah. This is yeah. what they've done with vaccine safety studies, and they only do them with one vaccine at a time. So, so let's say... Um, you know, you get the analogy. Right. It, yeah. It but I, yeah, I want, I want to expand a little bit and sometimes they, they, they do it a little bit differently. And I love your example because if you go to, and I, I think I told people that, that this last week, but I'm going to repeat it for new listeners, just Google CDC vaccines don't cause autism. you come to a webpage where they say vaccines in the plural don't cause autism. Well, first of all, you realize that they only have studies on one or to one vaccine and, and one ingredient. But then you get to um, a study. They say, oh, look at this antigen study, the 2013 antigen study. This proves vaccines don't cause autism. So click on it and go read it. And you will see it's, it's that tobacco science. It's one group of vaccinated kids who got vaccines that had a certain level of antigen, which is the viral bacterial component, and other kids who got a different level of that. And the authors conclude, not that vaccines don't cause autism, but gee, we found autism in both groups. So the level of antigen is not related to autism, okay? But then it gets better, Dr. Paul. Right there, the, the authors in the conclusion state, in cases of regressive autism, in which a child is developing normally and then begins to lose developmental skills, we cannot rule out environmental causes, including vaccines. So the very study that the CDC points to, but they count on people not actually reading their citations. I could go on and on. Um, one of the things that's so annoying, they, they recommend to hospitals to vaccinate people in every situation they can. And even in the presence of um, anesthesia and on their best practices guidelines, they admit we have no safety studies on administering vaccines in the pres presence of anesthesia, but we think it's safe. Right. That, that's Same it. Same thing with pregnancy, right? I mean, right. they recommend pregnancy, two different vaccines, the, the Tdap and the flu shot. And you look at the package inserts, they were never studied for safety. Right. And once upon a time, there was a list of vaccines the CDC used to list as proof that it's okay in pregnancy. But I went and debunked all of those at one of the yeah. conferences I did. And they've since pulled them because Actually, one of their studies showed that if you extrapolated it to the 4 million births per year in the U.S., there would be 18 deaths a year from chorioamnionitis, yeah. which is an infection of the uterus that can be passed to the baby, compared to the four deaths roughly from pertussis a year out of those same 4 million births. So the vaccines were actually causing more deaths. Mm -hmm. Oh, we better pull all those studies. We'll just say do it. 
Right. Anyhow, yes, uh, so, that was my wake up call. And yeah. um, so then I, I ended up being still in mainstream practice with a group of other pediatricians until um, I saw four kids four years in a row regress, regress into severe autism kind of woke me up. I'm sorry, it took four years. Um, it, you know, it's just, we're so indoctrinated that vaccines are safe and effective as pediatricians. We just can't kind of wrap our head around that maybe we're causing harm. And, and, and I think even for parents, so I, I have um, a large practice. Uh, we had 15,000 active patients a couple years ago. It's dwindled a bit with some of the stress my practice has been under attacks, but we're still at about 10,000 active patients and 20,000 patient charts that we've been taking care of for the last few years, been open for almost 13 years. Um, and, you know, it's just the data is overwhelming what I'm seeing in my practice. So I started seeing this, my unvaccinated patients are doing so well, they're very healthy. My vaccinated kids are not so healthy, but I can't say that to somebody and win that argument. It's my observation that, right? Mm -hmm. So I've had to really do a proper look at the data and we'll get into that. But what I was trying to get to with parents is just as it's hard for pediatricians to acknowledge that maybe we made a mistake I think it's really hard for parents. And, and if you're a parent and you're listening to this, I don't want you to feel any regret or no sense of blame for what you did. I vaccinated my kids completely, followed the CDC schedule. I did what I thought was best, right? So when you know better, you do better. And now we have data. So we're gonna get to that study that is just the data is so powerful. Take a look at it. I imagine you guys will put a link to it. It's, it's data that you should definitely just look at it and it just jumps out at you. Um, how we got to this data is kind of interesting. I published my book, The Vaccine Friendly Plan in 2016. And uh, my mom says to me, uh, son, did you really have to do that? That's like putting a target on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now I'm not anti-vaccine. I sure get accused of that. You, you can read my book. It's not, it's not a don't do any vaccines book. It's start thinking about it. That book was written to get people to start thinking. It really wasn't written for the family that's researched vaccines carefully and already understands there's a lot of risk. You, you don't need to read that book necessarily, although it wouldn't harm you. Uh, it's for the, the, the people who don't yet understand that there's risk. And, and so you can start at least thinking about them one by one and individualizing your approach. Uh, and, and maybe you choose to do some. Now, after you see the new data that I've got, you might change your mind about that too. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's a journey we go on most of us aren't born vaccine risk aware. You know, we just aren't. We, my, my parents' generation, it was polio and smallpox and oh, vaccines are wonderful, right? And there's a whole story there, but you cannot get them yeah. to say that, you know, vaccines didn't solve the polio problem. I mean, that's, that's their belief system. Uh, they'll go to their grave with it. You're yeah. not going to change their minds on that. I, in my training, saw a huge benefit from a particular vaccine, the Hib vaccine, which really reduced meningitis. And, and it was like, wow, this is amazing, right? So we all have our reasons for... Yeah, I, well, I just wanted to say real quick, two things there, um, Dr. Paul. One is that um, the Hib did appear to work really well for the B strain, but Correct. then very quickly it shifted over to yeah. other strains. And so now there's been no net benefit. Worthless. So, yeah, always chasing. Yeah. And the other thing um, I love here, you know, we're not, we're not born um, like skeptical of vaccines, but we're also not born um, vaccine deficient. 
We're not born Absolutely. pharmaceutically deficient. We are right. born perfectly designed yep. and we have learned that we have immune system and if properly supported, um, you know, we can um, safely navigate yes. any of these infections. And of course, treatments exist in the, in the year 2020 and head into 2021. Wouldn't you think we could better handle a case of measles or mumps or chicken pox Absolutely. or, you Absolutely. know, even COVID-19 we can treat. And it's, it, to me, it's a crime against humanity. I keep using that phrase because <laughs> brilliant doctors have been shouting, you know, before Senate committees, before Homeland Security committees, we've got this, we've got nutrients and nutrient drug protocols that yep. if you start them early, we can prevent severe disease. And why isn't this happening everywhere? So um, it's, it's just so infuriating, you know, yeah. vaccines probably have a place, but they're not allowed to assume their proper place because they push everything aside. Um, and, and doctors are not taught that there's more to disease prevention um, and avoidance um, than just those products. Yeah. yeah. Bernadette, I want to highlight what you said. Uh, your listeners, if, if you're confused and you're listening to this and you're going, what the heck? I thought we were supposed to vaccinate or, or <laughs> you know, you're, you're on the fence on this issue. What I want to highlight that Bernadette just brought out is my closing argument, actually, like last words. I just want to get them in now. Maybe I'll repeat them. You have an amazing immune system. It is your healthy immune system that keeps you healthy. It's not a pharmaceutical drug. It's not a vaccine. Vaccines actually shift your immune system towards allergy and autoimmunity, and you're less able to fight new infections. So here we are worried about COVID, and it's a relatively new infection. I mean, there are other coronaviruses. Kids are doing amazing with it, by the way. And I haven't had a single case of COVID in my practice that walked through my door. There were three reports of people who went to urgent care and one we tested in the parking lot, but that's it. In a practice of over 10,000 kids, we kept our doors open the entire pandemic. What, how could that be? Well, my practice, our kids are less vaccinated. They are, have a robust immune system by supporting it with eating good food, supporting their vitamin D status to optimal levels. There are other things you can do. So, and Bernadette, you were alluding to all the doctors that have been saying that, you know, here's some natural ways. You can take hold of those natural measures if you're listening to this show and you can absolutely be safe. Now, if you're high risk and very old, be careful, right? This, this COVID, vex, uh, COVID virus is particularly harmful, it appears, to the very old and those with severe underlying health conditions. Uh, so yes, quarantine, be safe. I'm not saying be reckless, but for people who are healthy and young people, you don't need to fear this any more than the regular cold or flu. And you can actually boost your immune system and then be totally fearless. And that's mm -hmm. not what you're hearing on the news. They want you to cower down, be afraid. And you know what? Fear, stress is not good for your immune system. No. It's, all, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're going to get everybody fearful and then we're going to suppress their immune system further in all sorts of crazy ways of rolling out this vaccine that's untested. No long-term safety testing on the COVID vaccine, by the right. way. Yeah. And I want to remind listeners that they can go to healthyimmunitynow.org, healthyimmunitynow.org. And it's a one-stop shop for all of the effective treatment protocols that these brilliant uh, frontline practitioners have been coming up with. Dr. Brownstein's nutrient-only protocol, um, the Critical Care 19 group um, who have the, the Nutrient Plus drug protocol, which now includes ivermectin. 
And, you know, all of the information is there, hyperlinked to the science, to the doctors, everything you need to know to go really understand what you're doing. And like Dr. Paul is saying, these COVID-19 vaccines um, have not been properly tested. Um, you know, we have very little information. And if any, you know, I don't understand why they're being so reckless with language, Dr. Paul. So, you know, they've been throwing around safe and effective as a definition for childhood vaccines and and ignoring, you know, the collateral damage, which your study is showing happening. Um, but at least these vaccines had been around a long time. So what's very alarming is our own Department of Health here in Washington, and I'm sure they're in Oregon, are using the phrase safe and effective to describe an investigational liability-free vaccine that has only had about two at most three months worth of safety and effectiveness data. And when you do the math on the number of people that were that came down with COVID, so let's look at the Pfizer study, 44,000 people in the study, half got saline, half got the vaccine. 162 people in the saline group got COVID and um, about eight people in the um, vaccination group got COVID. If you look at, look at the numbers, that means that the saline placebo was 99.74% effective in preventing COVID because only, only point seven five percent of that entire group got COVID so we and I'm not saying that this is like you know something that's you know exactly true because it's based on such little bit of data but if we are supposed to believe that this vaccine's 95 percent effective then we should also believe and understand that the the net reduction in um in in COVID cases that this vaccine is capable of if that 95% is true, is only a reduction of 0.72% between the two groups, if you're following my math here. It's just absurd. It's too early. Yet they're saying safe and effective. And they're doing everything they can to convince people to try it. It's yeah. so alarming. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, 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 a, it's absurd. They, they are just spouting off a marketing slogan. Safe and effective is a marketing slogan. There is no safe pharmaceutical product, period. Yeah. End of discussion on that. Look at any package insert, including the package insert for these COVID vaccines, that there's a long list of side effects already known, but we yeah. just don't have long-term follow-up. So unfortunately, Bernadette, I think you're familiar with this little trick. Mark my words, they're going to use it. I've already heard, I read one thing where they're already talking this kind of talk, and that goes as follows. This is so wrong, but here's what they're going to do. Well, our placebo group is being left unprotected we cannot ethically allow that to go forward. So we're gonna vaccinate all of the placebo group so that we don't, it, it just would be unethical not to. And the moment they do that, and they will do it before next winter, mm -hmm. and there's a reason for that, which I can get into, but they will absolutely do it and that ends the study. So it, right. will, be a, it will be a study of probably at most one year, and that's not enough time to pick up most of the serious chronic conditions that will develop. Right. They talked about that at the ACIP meeting when they voted. They covered all the different ways they could figure out how to keep the study going, yet be ethical and, and get the vaccines to the right. people. So, you know, they're planting the seeds of, they're of where the they're seeds. going. They're yeah. just absolutely. You, they've done this all along with yeah. vaccines. It's just smoke and mirrors. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, should I talk a little bit about my study? Yeah, and why don't you um, do a little intro to the study, and then in a few minutes, we're going to go to a break. So, so lead us into your study. 
Okay, so uh, in January of 2019, last year, I did a quality assurance project. I hired someone to just come in and look at all my data and let's see if my patients are doing well or not. Because the board was already after me since I'd written my book. They, by that point, I'd had a second complaint that were not actually patient complaints. They were some anonymous complaints. We've since found out one of them was from a doctor uh, at, at our local hospital who outside one of my patient's rooms said, I'm gonna turn that guy in. Doesn't he know there's a vaccine for rotavirus? Well, this was a family I know well who have not given their kids any vaccines, would not give their kids vaccines. They have a strong family history of problems that make it wise not to. Uh, needless to say, I thought, let's just look. That's the ethical thing to do. What if you know these parents who are choosing not to vaccinate, what if they're really causing harm? So that was what caused the deep dive into the quality assurance data. And it was the guy that came in was, he came in very neutral. He's a pediatrician neonatologist and he's an informatics expert. And he just says, well, we'll see, Paul. I don't know. I, I, I know you think you're having great outcomes, but we'll see the day. I'm a data guy. I mean, he was just, I look at the data. By the end of the first day, he was like a kid in a candy store. He's Paul, do you realize? I mean, he was so excited I had to calm him down. Your unvaccinated patients just don't get sick. I said, I know, I know. <laughs> so anyway, we then got an IRB, which is an institutional review board to do the data analysis. Why don't you go ahead and take your break and we'll come back and look at our study after that. Okay, that sounds really good. Eric, we're ready to go ahead and go to a break. You're listening to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be right back. Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. 
please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Welcome back to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is the wonderful Dr. Paul Thomas, and he's telling us about this fabulous study that has a very long name, but what we like to call the Vaxxed Unvaxxed Study. So you were just explaining how um, you brought in, uh, you were calling it a quality assurance data. Tell us what quality assurance means. So every uh, large institution and most large uh, practices should do QA, which is quality assurance. You're looking at some variable of intervention and finding out, is this good medicine, right? You're looking at the quality of care. <clears throat> in, um, in pediatrics, oftentimes they look at the metric of how well do you vaccinate? And they equate that with quality. And in fact, I've gotten... Um, let's see, how could I say, I was going to use the word dinged. I don't think that's an English word. Uh, <laughs> I've like been uh, penalized for yeah. and, and labeled a poor doctor or, you know, a less than, than, uh, you know, you'll have percentiles for quality. And if the quality measure is, for example, how, what percentage of your two-year-olds are fully vaccinated according to the CDC schedule? Mm -hmm. Well, on that measure, I'm probably at 1% or less. And mm -hmm. here's why. That particular vaccine, the hepatitis B that's given at birth to babies just out of the womb for an infection that you catch from sex and IV drug use, and they're born to a mother who does not have hepatitis B, which is the only way a baby can catch hepatitis B, makes zero medical scientific sense. It is pure poisoning of your newborn. There's mm -hmm. no other words for it. It has 250 micrograms of aluminum a known neurotoxin, a known amount to cause immune activation, which is known to cause brain development issues and other problems, autoimmunity being mm -hmm. one of them. So it's a no-brainer. It is unscientific to do what the CDC is saying you should do in 99.9% .9 of births in America. Mm -hmm. Now, am I against the hepatitis B vaccine? No, there's 0.1% of moms who have active hepatitis B for whom that baby should get that vaccine. If they get that vaccine in that scenario, then they reduce the chance of their baby getting hepatitis B by 50%. But folks, it's only 0.1%. The, the CDC sometimes quotes 1% of moms have hep B. That's not correct. In my practice, I've been open for almost 13 years. We've had zero cases in this massive busy practice of hepatitis B positive moms. It, in our community, at least, it's extraordinarily rare. 
Now, if you were working in a high-risk population of IV drug users and prostitutes, for example, there would be a much higher level of hepatitis B. But this is just telling you an example of how quality measures, quality assurance, it happens at the hospitals. I actually think it's one of the reasons I was targeted by the Providence healthcare system because I'm ruining their quality measures, okay? <laughs> so, uh, and they wanna be on the US News and World Report uh, top hospitals, right? There's an addition mm -hmm. that comes out and hospitals that are uh, high, high quality measures, then you're, you're applauded for being a great hospital. Well. Uh, I think one of the quality measures that, that the pharma industry, they're very clever. So uh, the quality measure they slide in is how well you, how many, what percentage of your babies are getting hepatitis B vaccine as if that's a good thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, real quality, and I challenge all doctors who are listening to this or hospital systems, stop looking at protocols as quality and start looking at health outcomes. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's what you want. So mm -hmm. this is what this study did. So we took that data set that was compiled as part of my quality assurance analysis and then de-identified it, got an institutional review board approval, an IRB to study it. It's a retrospective data set. So there's no risk of harming anybody. We're just looking at data. And we chose to look just specifically just at every baby born into my practice. And I did that for a very important reason. I get patients into my practice, have for the last 12 and a half years, almost weekly, in fact, I can guarantee you weekly, that were discharged from another practice or the parents could no longer go there because they had one child vaccine injured and that practice want, wanted to continue vaccinating that injured child or they have a subsequent child and they don't want to make the same mistake. So they talk to their doctor says, no, we, we already saw our first child damaged by a series of vaccines or a specific vaccine. We don't want to vaccinate or we want to put it off. We want to just make sure their brains develop out of here. They are bullied to do it or they're sent out of the office in most pediatric practices where I, where I am here in Portland, Oregon. That's what's going on out there, folks. You need to fire those pediatricians. I'm sorry. Uh, the board can take my license, but they can't shut me up. You, you, you parents have to protect your child. My goodness, they're little babies. They can't speak for themselves. Do not let them be poisoned by a vaccine that they don't even need, right? Exactly. In the case of the hepatitis B. Exactly. So anyway, we get this data set and we're just looking at those born into my practice. That, there, we don't, that way we don't have these variables of kids who are harmed at other practices by whatever, other vaccine systems. It's pure. Mm -hmm. Within my practice, we practice informed consent, which at the top of your hour, you were saying that's what this show is about. Let me describe informed consent. It's simple. Any elective procedure, medical procedure, you should be given informed consent. Think about surgeries that are elective, uh, cosmetic procedures, medications even. I mean, they all have risks and benefits and vaccines. And here's informed consent. Here's the risks, here's the benefits, and here are the options. And one of the options, or you might call it alternatives, has to be when you're talking about vaccines or an elective procedure it has to be not doing it right, right? if that's right. not an option then you have not given informed consent so what you have done if you're not giving the option of not doing it is you're doing what's called coercion and this is what's happening in across america in pediatric offices it's just do it this way paternalism my way or the highway and I get so many parents who were bullied into doing vaccines when they saw their kids drifting away. They saw the lights going out of their eyes, but they said, well, they told us there's no association between vaccines and harm. They're safe and effective. And they, they just, you hear it right in the news. Mm -hmm. That is a marketing phrase. Mm -hmm. So 
what did we end up in this data set? We had 2,763 vaccinated. Now they're variably vaccinated. And this is the thing, but, oh, Dr. Paul's anti-vax. How could I be anti-vax if 2,763 of my patients chose to vaccinate? We allow parents to choose. We do our best to inform on risks, benefits, and let they get to choose. We also had 561 completely unvaccinated children. They didn't get a happy in the hospital. They didn't get a single vaccine in my practice by parent choice. That's a the largest data set I believe in the world of unvaccinated in a single practice. So it's a valuable comparison. It's never been done before. And so what did we do? We looked at, we just basically looked at every diagnosis in the system and how many times you had that diagnosis. So it not only tells you what's associated by disease to vaccines, but also how severe it is. So mm -hmm. the old way of studying things is just yes or no. Your kid either had ADD or they didn't, or eczema or they didn't. In this case, how bad was the ADD? Did it cause them to come back multiple times or was it just one visit and then you never saw them for that again? So those who are seeing this on video, I know some of you are listening on, on, uh, on the radio, but there is a graph as part of this study that is just dramatic. It's figure five in the study. Go pull it up and keep a copy for yourself. There is an orange line that just goes from zero at the beginning to at 10 years and the most vaccinated, it goes right up to the roof. And the blue line for unvaccinated is almost flat in every condition. We found a, a significant, highly significant association for asthma, allergies, allergic rhinitis, breathing issues, behavior problems, ADHD, respiratory infections, ear pain, otitis media, infections, other conjunctivitis, eczema, dermatitis, urticaria, those are all skin conditions and anemia. So for each of those conditions, the unvaccinated were significantly less affected. And so it's, it's interesting, my uh, Jack Lyons Wheeler is an amazing scientist and statistician. He did all the, helped with the analysis of all this. He was going, Paul, I don't want to do p-values. Those have, they're garbage. They just don't have en enough significance. And he's doing all this really clever stuff with z-scores. And I'm going, just give me some p-values because I'm a, I'm a clinician. I'm in the trenches seeing patients and I don't, I'm not fancy statistician, right? So he did that for me as well. And, and actually a lot of uh, doctors and readers are, are appreciate that because they understand p-values. Okay, Most, so you need to tell our listeners what a p-value is. <laughs> well, there you go. It's just, uh, what's the likelihood of this being by chance? Okay. And so if, if you have a p-value of 0.01, the, ch that, the chance of that being found by chance is very, very low. The, okay. the, the lower the p-value, the, the more significant. Well, we got p-values of, I've never seen this in anything published. Never, ever seen this. 0. 0.00001. Wow. <laughs> Four, <laughs> it's, it's like, folks, there is no way this is chance. All right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is powerful, powerful data that vaccines are causing an increase in these health conditions. Mm -hmm. So we cannot say anymore that vaccines are safe. No, we can't. And I want to tell listeners, we do have your study in several places on informedchoicewell.org website. But um, and right now, it's I'm just checking my posts. I did two posts today. Um, one is a COVID-19 vaccine FDA fact sheets. So if you're looking for the facts 
on these new uh, vaccines as they come out. I'll try to keep that updated for you. And you can go read the information on which they based um, their authorization and also the fact sheets that they're handing out to people getting and giving these vaccines. But the, the other post, you will see one called Injected Nanoparticles Enter the Brain, okay? And um, I've got your study hyperlinked in that one, Dr. Paul, as well as um, two other of Dr. James Linesweiler's um, studies on aluminum, pediatric yeah. um, exposure to aluminum. So I think the three of those together, this most recent study of yours and those two others are so important for um, for parents to read because it really it really explains in like why anemia? Why would vaccination lead to anemia? And I believe somebody postulated that that potent that the aluminum because it can deposit in your bone marrow and in your bones and different things that it might be replacing iron in some yeah, things but it's probably affecting the transport of iron as well but that association was huge and unexpected mm -hmm. uh, in pediatrics we check it for anemia at nine months and so in this data set you just see this massive spike at nine months where almost all the vaccinated kids had anemia and the unvaccinated didn't yeah. And, you know, my son did. We stopped when he had an anaphylactic reaction. We stopped vaccinating. So yeah. his last one was at six months, yeah. but he he was anemic and it was something that we were we were treating. Um, yeah. So well, I'm, I'm glad you're highlighting those other studies. Jack uh, Lyons Wheeler and I and a couple other co-authors uh, worked together on one of those aluminum studies. What we mm -hmm. did was we actually compared hypothetically the body retention of aluminum for people following the CDC schedule compared to those following my vaccine friendly plan. Mm -hmm. And the CDC schedule children would spend 30 to 70% of their first seven months. So every day they're alive for seven months, 30 to 70% of the time they were above the toxic levels of aluminum. That's mm -hmm. just insane. It is. Now, what was troubling to me and I was, uh, bums me out. The vaccine friendly plan, you spend 6%. It should be zero. Objecting toxic levels of anything. I'm sorry. So the vaccine friendly plan is you spend 6% of your first seven months, the CDC schedule 30 to 70%. They're all toxic. You know, mm -hmm. the aluminum content of these vaccines, at least for tiny little bodies, it's too much. And mm -hmm. we're, we know it's a problem that that's not debatable anymore. That science is settled. So there's another <clears throat> example where you can absolutely refute right statement that vaccines are safe. That's ridiculous. And, you know, one of the appalling things to me is, you know, when you look at the clinical trials on which these are uh, based, you see that the injections given at two months and four months, there's very little antibody response. There's very little immune response. Right. Those vaccines are not actually protecting the child. They know that the child has to be about a year old, maybe nine months, a year or more before they really mount a good response to the vaccine. So it seems as if you know, even if you want to choose to vaccinate and even if they haven't completely eliminated the aluminum, administering them before the child can actually benefit from them is also hugely yeah. problematic, right? Yeah. So Bernadette, I, I can tell you why pediatricians uh, were um, misled into thinking that that was a good idea because I was one of those pediatricians for a while. Uh, the, the, the vaccine representatives, the, you know, those, those pharma reps who come in and detail you on all this stuff, they would show you these nice glossies. We'll take uh, Prevnar as an example. Uh, or Hib would be the same way. 
at two months, you might get a 30% response of antibodies. So 70% don't even get anything. Mm-hmm. And by, by doing a second one, you can bump that up to maybe 60 or 70 cent by the time you give a third, but it's also waning in time. Also, it's not giving lasting protection. So you're boosting and boosting, trying to see if you can get this immunity up. If vaccines were completely safe as drinking a glass of purified water, it would make sense to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. you're getting some protection, right? So that's mm-hmm. the rationale for most pediatricians. Unfortunately, they have bought into the safe concept. And that's, that's what we're fighting right. up against. They don't understand the toxicity of aluminum. So if you're a parent and you're having to deal with a pediatrician who doesn't understand, take these aluminum studies that you have linked on your website mm-hmm. and take them into your pediatrician and say, can you explain to me how you can say that this aluminum is safe given these studies? Right. And if they and can't explain it, then you don't allow them to vaccinate. It, exactly. And, you know, the, the whole move into all of medicine in nanoparticles of all sorts is very concerning. And if you go read the actual science, the, the, the scientists are working hard to overcome the dangers and risks and the adverse reactions to the use of nanoparticle technology. They yeah. like it because it will cross the the blood brain barrier. It will do all sorts of things that will carry their cargo in all kinds of places. So we know that the aluminum um, is in nanoparticle form and it has been found in high quantities in the brain. Um, But I'm thinking about the mRNA vaccine, which is in a lipid nanoparticle and animal models show that when you inject a lipid nanoparticle in a mouse, it doesn't stay at the ejection site. It has been found in the kidneys and the livers and the heart and the brain. So, you know, what happens when those little mRNA viruses um, set up a little home and start cranking out a spike protein in your brain. That doesn't seem like a good thing. Now, I'm not saying for sure it's happening, but the vaccine industry was not required to do any studies to see. So here we've got the investigational vaccine that they're saying safe and effective, and they have not even checked to see, you know, all of these things that are potentially there, that is the hard science. It's not Dr. Paul science or Bernadette science. It's, it's out there. It's go yep. to PubMed and you can find it all. And yep. um, I mean, what could go wrong? We're going to in- inject a messenger RNA virus particle that has yeah. to attach to your own DNA and become a part of you. So you now become a GMO human, genetically modified human, and you will forevermore likely make spike protein, trick your body into thinking you have COVID-19, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, talk about immune activation. Uh, yeah. the, the amount of autoimmunity we're likely to see one, one two, three, four, five years after this, is, it's, it's going to be devastating. Which, yeah. of course, um, if you want to make money, the number <laughs> one moneymaker in America in pharma world is immunosuppressants, right? Right. The Humeras, the Embrils, you see the, all the ads on TV. How can they afford to do all those ads? Well, it's $100,000 or $70,000 per person per year to be on those medications. So imagine we create a whole bunch more of that. The yeah. profits are going to be astronomical. Yeah. And I, if you I, take an immunosuppressant, now what happens? Now you get cancer, infections. Right. Number two moneymaker. What you triggered can't... it to begin with? The vaccines, number three moneymaker, although I think vaccines are going to skyrocket to number one real fast here with COVID. Yeah. You you know, you really, you can't fool mother nature, can you? That's what, and I did want to kind of point out that, you know, I've been talking lots of doctor scientists and an immunologist about the mRNA and um, you know, we don't, we don't know that it's going to continue to manufacture the, the, that little messenger RNA um, 
should dissolve and go away and stop produce, producing the spike protein. But, you know, again, we don't, the science hasn't gone on long enough to know for sure what the long-term outcomes are going to be. And there's always those outliers. We always, with all medicine, there's under responders and over responders. You know, we just don't know who are going to be the people for, for whom it doesn't shut off or yeah. that something goes really crazy. Yeah, I wanted to bring that out. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to point out to you the, um, a couple of things about informed consent. So one of my favorite um, doctors is Dr. Mike, Michael Gaeta. Have you met him yet? He, he teaches some wonderful um, classes and I love, I've, I've borrowed from him his phrase, uh, nature first, drugs last, because drugs have their place. They, they can be miraculous, but you know, I don't have to tell you that, you know, the, the whole world is, is built upon the finances that support uh, drugs first and shut up about nature already, right? Yep. Um, so uh, informed consent is something that we have got to protect. And we have to flip this whole paradigm of, of basing, um, what was it, quality assurance measures on uptake of pharmaceutical products. I mean, that makes zero sense, you know? Um, so history is filled with beautiful documents that mankind has put together because they have seen the need to protect um, informed consent. So we have the Nuremberg Code. The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential, right? We have the Declaration of Geneva. I will not use my medical knowledge to violate human rights and civil liberties, even under threat. And I would say that right now, Dr. Paul, you have been living, honoring the Declaration of Geneva because you've been under threat pretty much since you started your practice and decided to give informed consent. You knew you were going against the flow, and yet you did it anyway because you did what was best for your, your young patients. Then we have the Declaration of Helsinki. The fundamental principle is respect for the individual, their right to self-determination, and the right to make informed decisions. So we, we're going for, see, that's 2013. When was the other one? 2006. And then we had, oh, I don't remember, Nuremberg Code, 1940s somewhere. Yep, right after World War II. Yeah, um, you know, and it just goes on and on. All these beautifully crafted documents that, um, you know, are just not being honored by this system that is set up. And it's not just, it's not just vaccines, Dr. Paul, right? So that same quality insurance, I went and looked to see like it, um, Medicare, Medicaid, I get them confused and all the insurance companies, they all measure, um, performance by uptake. And so, and, and then the clinics get rewarded. So if you have so many patients in your, in your clinic that have high cholesterol, you get rewarded if they're on cholesterol lowering medications. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and those medications have been found to be very dangerous. Right. 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 And yeah. in fact, if you look at mortality data, um, unless it's super high cholesterol, your mortality is actually worse. If you have a low cholesterol, it's, it's fascinating. So they need to look at actual health outcomes, not how well you, fo you follow a protocol. Another good example of this is uh, everybody's familiar with the opioid crisis and yeah. a lot of it got blamed on uh, Oxycontin. Uh, the DuPont, I think, or who was, what was the company that made that? I think it might've been DuPont. Uh, when I was in training or shortly thereafter, we were trained to think of pain as the vital sign. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. so doctors mm -hmm. and nurses. And if you didn't assess a person's pain, you were a bad doctor. But then on top of that, 
if you identified pain and you didn't adequately treat it, you were a bad doctor. And how were you supposed to treat it? Oh, with opioids. And never mind, Oxycontin is a long-acting opioid. It's not addictive. That's what we were taught. That's what you Well, were taught. that was part of what created the whole opioid crisis. I mean, more than 50%, I don't remember right. the exact number, of people who end up hooked on heroin or other opiates started with a doctor's prescription. Yeah, you want to hear something kind of bizarre. You know, as I've been researching, going down one rabbit hole and another, um, here in Washington, I'm not sure if they're they're in Oregon, maybe because they're in many states. There's this consulting group called McKinsey. It's a global consulting group, and our governor Inslee is paying this group $160,000 a week to consult. And these people sit on the World Economic Forum board, part of that whole global reset with the Gates Foundation and all that, you know, it's just sort of crazy. But there was an article recently that showed that the McKinsey consultants played a very active role in guiding the opioid industry and how to increase sales. Wow. These are the people that are helping guide our response to COVID. You know, the entanglement of the people, you know, in big pharma, big tech, big everything, right? Yep, yep. Um, there was a great article on Children's Health Defense in, in The Defender that um, Bobby Kennedy recently published just a couple of days ago, um, all about, you know, the bigs and, and what they're doing and how they're, they're taking um, our freedom. Yeah. from us you know so we it's it's like i saying um we need a revolution we need a health revolution we need to take back our health and it starts one parent one patient at a time doing their homework and then saying no and if they are not getting the respect they deserve they need to walk and go find yeah. a physician who will treat them so Absolutely. one more minute dr paul I, you got one minute to one minute Okay, yeah. let, let me remind people, uh, I am licensed in Washington still, by the way, uh, but oh. I, was, I was not giving any medical advice here, uh, especially in Oregon, where I am suspended, right? So the, the, get the paper, it was published five days later, I was my license was suspended at an emergency meeting because I'm an immediate public health threat. Go figure. Uh, by giving informed consent, I'm a public health threat. But take care of yourselves. If I've got one last tip, and I said it in the middle of this broadcast, do self-care. You know, right now with COVID and quarantine and, and, and people are so stressed out, uh, eat well, take your vitamin D, rest, get enough sleep, exercise, get outdoors without a mask and take care of yeah. your immune system. Thanks for your attention. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Paul. Thank you, everybody. This has been an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Happy holidays, everyone. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best health care decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.